You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you maybe already be good at it. But to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason. To do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Mark Magna Podcast. This is the Magna Method. Today I am very fortunate and honored to have uh, a very special man here, Mr. Randy Frankel, co-owner of the Tampa Bay Rays. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Absolutely. I'm very excited to have you here. I'm going to be completely honest. You're one of the individuals that I wanted to have on first, but I was a bit nervous to ask you because I know you don't like doing interviews, but I, it's a small accomplishment for myself having you here and having you in this room, so a small win for the little guy. I won't say no to you, bro. <laughs> Seriously, thank you very much for being here. So, you know, Randy, we, I wanted to have you on the show because you're such an interesting guy. You're a hardworking guy. Uh, I obviously respect you a great deal. I know you, you, you know that. And you're you're involved in so many different things, and you know to spend a day with Randy Frankel is it's going to be a long day. There's going to be a lot of working out, a lot of training, a lot of phone calls, a lot of interesting things going on. But I just want to start off. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and your upbringing. Yeah, I grew up in the uh, Northeast, <clears throat> in North Jersey, and spent probably first 18 years of my life there going through high school a uh, small town in uh, called Parsippany and then ended up out in uh, Long Island uh, for undergraduate at Hofstra University played basketball there a couple of years and um, had a good four years um, like a lot of people um, the road was to go to college I wasn't quite ready to go to college but there was no choice. I wasn't not going to go. I wasn't going to get a job because uh, I didn't think that made sense to graduate high school, take a year or two off work. So I went and like a lot of other kids, you know, you get to college at 18 years old and you're not prepared. And you realize that after the first week or two once you get into school and um, you see all the other kids that, you know, can talk about economics, macro, micro, and you're sitting there scratching your head, okay, I'm playing catch up right now. <laughs> so I spent four years out there playing catch up and then uh, graduated and uh, became a CPA and uh, stayed up in the Northeast. Stayed up in the Northeast, you kind of breezed through college. Did you, I mean, what, what was it like for you in college? Did you enjoy your time being there aside from, you know, a bunch of crazy uh, experiences maybe in academia or in the classroom? And w w what did you like about college? Um, what I liked about college is I think what every kid who gets dropped off by their parents on day one is when they wave goodbye to their parents and they walk into their dorm room and they're sitting in there alone and nobody's telling them what time to come home, what time to go to bed, what time to wake up, how many beers to have or not have, and anything. So the genie's kind of out of the bottle on day one. And um, so that's obviously a feel-good situation, and it turns into a not-such-a-feel-good situation when you get your first exam back. <clears throat> and you get a C-minus, and, you know, you feel like a bozo in the class. 
Um, but college was a, was a good time for me. I enjoyed it. And, you know, as far as the, the academic side of it, you know, accounting, finance, um, economics, you know, statistics and math, I enjoyed those classes a lot. Um, all the other ones I just didn't have an interest in and just kind of coasted through them. Um, if I could go back, I'd kind of change some things, but uh, I can't go back. But So those were my four years, and uh, I enjoyed them. So, you know, you, you, you hit on it um, that you really have a passion and a, a, maybe, uh, lack of a better term, love for, you know, numbers and, and uh, everything with, with accounting. When did you realize, like, that was going to be your way? Was there an aha moment? Did you have something, uh, uh, something that happened to you where you're like, this is going to be my pathway because this is what I love to do? Yeah, that uh, moment was uh, earlier on, probably when I was in high school. I was working, you know, at nights with my dad downstairs. He had a little office. He uh, was an accountant, and he would do the books and tax returns for small delis and gas stations and restaurants. And I used to enjoy watching him and sitting in a in a meeting with him, explaining to the owner of the restaurant, you know, your food cost is thirty five percent. You got to get it down to thirty two, and your labor is thirty six. You got to get it to thirty four, and you save six points on two million of sales. You make one hundred and twenty thousand more, and the numbers are all going to come together. And that was it was a business kind of thing that clicked in my head that I liked understanding businesses and it didn't matter which one it was it was just understanding businesses whether it was a car wash or or the baseball you know the baseball team you know uh, the, the business of baseball so that was my moment probably at 15 16 17 I just that was just interested me so okay understood so if you leave college and you you, you go away you're a CPA and you're working where? Oh, so see, I, you take the CPA exam, and I passed it, luckily. Um, and then Easy? I, easy exam? No, it's a very challenging exam. It's three days, um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock at night. Um, so it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all day. It's no joke. So you prepare for it for a long, long time, so take study classes and, and that. So um, it's... It's a little harder than the bar, you know. You go to law school for three years and you take the bar, you should pass, you know. Uh, but college is a little different when you're an accountant because you're taking a lot of a lot of things. So it was tough. Uh, I got through it and then ended up at a public accounting firm in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Spent two years there, and while I was there, um, I realized that the place I wanted to be was Wall Street because I love trading stocks. I love reading the Wall Street Journal. I just love watching the ticker tape on the TV, even to this day. I remember you know, sitting out at lunchtime when I was 22 years old. There was a Charles Schwab, and I would just watch the tape go across the window, and I would just watch every stock print, and it just fascinated me. And even to this day, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is turn on CNBC, and I'm just watching the tape go mm-hmm. across and watching what's up big, what's down big, and why, and what's going on. Mm-hmm. So. And, and you were around some pretty amazing people. I, I, I once before you, you mentioned that you had several people that you know looked out for you, and it was at that at that time that you, your mentor came into your life in regards to the financial world and the Wall Street world. No, my mentor. So when I left the accounting firm in New Jersey, I went to an accounting firm on Wall Street that specialized just in Wall Street firms. You know, broker dealers, or you know, arbitrageurs. And you know, broker big brokerage houses. So I did the tax returns and the books for those. The moment when I decided that I was on the wrong side of the fence, that I didn't want to be a bean counter, I wanted to do more bean analysis. I then took a job at a Wall Street firm, and once I got into that firm, 
the founder of the firm was my guy who I looked up to, and he ended up being my rabbi on Wall Street, and probably, you know, be right up with my dad. He was the biggest influence of uh, my life, and even talking about this right now, I think I should go home and sit down, get a pen and paper, and old school him, and write a nice letter, and tell him that I'm thinking about him now, and uh, the, the moments and the things that he's taught me um, are still around, alive and kicking. Well, you know, just listening to you, it, it sounds like, you know, there's not only a, a lot of uh, education, knowledge he passed on to you, but, it, you know, there's a serious bond there as well. Can you just discuss a couple things or maybe one thing that you, you, you'll you never forget that this man taught you? Well, I'll tell you um, a quick story. When um, he asked to come with me, I was out to go, I was on my way to go see a client. And he said, I'm going to come with you. We were having lunch in the uh, in the dining room. And he said, give me 10 minutes. And I'm figuring, okay, I'll wait by the elevator. This is going to be great. I'm going to go in his limousine. It'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be all that. Um, he pushes the button. Next thing I know, we're in the basement walking towards the subway. And we're standing on the subway. And this guy is was, still is, one of the wealthiest people in the country. And the train was probably five minutes away and he was walking on the platform just picking up some some wrappers and some stuff and I looked and he saw that I wanted to ask a question but I didn't and he just looked at me and said well it's got to start with somebody so if other people see me cleaning up our city in the subway maybe everybody will jump on the bandwagon and that's what was a very memorable moment because I realized the message that he was sending me was no matter what happens in your life, stay grounded. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you are and just be that person that you started, you know, out Mm -hmm. as. Mm -hmm. So that was a real memorable moment. Yeah. And, you know, we always have those talks and and discuss like, you know, we, we joke around and I've heard you say a million times, act like you've been there before, remain humble. And do you think that that's probably one of the major, major things that, you know, everyone can adapt to in their lives, just keeping humble and just making sure they put their head down, do more, say less, that type of approach? Uh, I would say that probably is something everybody has to keep in mind at some point in their lives. You know, I mean, um, your stuff isn't what makes you. It's you that makes you, you know. So nobody wants to hear about the new flashy car and walk in my house and look at this piece of art and look at this TV I just got. You know, it's it's just stuff, you know. And it's nice to have those comforts and conveniences. But, you know, you got to act like you've been there before. Everybody likes certain things. But, you know... You just got to be careful about, you know, how you display it. Yeah. I guess not letting it change who you really are at the core, as you mentioned before. Um, So thank you for sharing that with us. I know that's a personal story, but I really appreciate it. Um, You you move out of the financial world. You're always in it. And then at what point you've always had this love for baseball. I know you mentioned a connection with baseball and that came from your father, correct? You're spending time with your father. Yeah, my dad uh, uh, was a was a ball player and uh, he may have made it to the big leagues as, you know, kind of a, a backup somewhere. Uh, he got drafted by the Phillies and the Dodgers, but never made it. He went into the Korean War instead and uh, came out and that was it. There was no more uh, 
baseball for him. But I played Little League and, you know, high school. I was just a very average player. But I was just always a sports guy. I just always loved sports. And growing up, we didn't have ESPN 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 9. You know, we had rabbit ears on the TV. And, you know, you're trying to get Channel 59 by holding your arm up and one out the window. <laughs> and then you can kind of see a grainy and you think you're watching, but you're not watching. And so that's the kind of how I grew up, you know, trying to watch a game. And I still remember one game. Uh, LSU was playing. It was my favorite basketball player and athlete, Pistol Pete Maravich. And I wanted to see it so bad. And it was on a UHF channel. And we had some kind of contraption on top of the TV. And, you know, it was just like every once in a while you'd see a shot. And, you know, you thought, wow, this is great living. You know, I think I just saw his floppy socks, you know, and you felt really great. You know, that you're caught, you know, you're watching the screen for seven minutes. And, you you know, four seconds, you, you may have seen something. And it's and we're like, wow, how could it get better than this? You know? Mm, yeah. Uh, so and that was who you tried to you know emulate on the basketball court. Yeah, I know you went to Hofstra. You're a Hofstra alum, and you played basketball at Hofstra. Was that the guy you tried to, uh, you know, copy on the court there? Yeah, we were different worlds. He was a real guy, and I was a fake guy. <laughs> you know, so uh, he could do things with the basketball that I didn't think anybody could. But uh, yeah, I, I, he was one of my him. Walt Frazier. You know, there was there was a couple of guys that stood out in the day. Walt Frazier, man. Yeah. Was, uh, I remember Walt Frazier's stories. I don't remember him, but I remember stories. Um, so you, basketball was a love as an athlete and in, in playing yourself in college. But what happened? to you to make you tell us about the window of opportunity you said you know what I want to be a part of ownership for a major league baseball team can you tell us a little bit about that window uh, yeah my uh, friend and partner uh, Stu Sternberg was um, we are at Goldman Sachs and we were looking at the Mets because the, uh, Fred Wilpon the current owner and uh, Doubleday uh, they were partners and uh, I think they just wanted to end their partnership so we took a look at it and uh, it just didn't make sense for us at the time to buy it. They were losing some money and the acquisition price was high, but just going through the process, kicking the tires, it really kind of warmed us up to owning a sports team and you know, we got a little bit of knowledge by looking at all the books and, and understanding it a little better. Um, so we passed on the Mets, but the uh, situation with the Tampa Bay Rays was perfect because it was on the East Coast where we both live. And there was a bunch of owners, and they were struggling to get along also. So we kind of picked the owners off one at a time. So we became limited partners in the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. And we had a good learning curve for a couple of years until we just took full control of the team in 2006. Mm -hmm. And in 2006, and I know, you know, from previous talks with you, there's a the Tampa Bay Rays are a very unique organization. They they function on would you say a quarter of what the New York Yankees salary may be? Is, is that be yeah. So accurate? our on field payroll um, over the past rolling three to five years is generally between sixty five and eighty two million dollars. Um, if I had to tighten it up, it's seventy seventy five million. Where the Yankees are always over two hundred million. You know the Red Sox two hundred million. You know the Dodgers today or could be a quarter of a billion. So um, it's, it's kind of tough. You know, they're buying wins, and it's something we can't do. Mm -hmm. You know, we just can't go out and, and buy a win. And that being said, but you're still uh, incredibly competitive, and I think that's a result of the specific system that's implemented within the Tampa Bay Rays. Can you tell us a little bit about the system, how it's unique, and how it's unique? Well, you know, um, there's a study that's done that says if you just bring a AAA team up, um, that they could probably win 55 to 60 games. 
So you have to then think, how do you can get 20 more wins out of a season to get into the 80s to be competitive? So we kind of look at every little, every little piece and we try to pick off things that could help us get a win here, a win there, a half a win. So there was a book written about us and it's called The Extra 2% because that's how Stu likes to call us. And we look at just finding extra 2% in every baseball, you know, technique we can actually think about. You know, whether, you know, the team has 27 outs in a game, how do we get 28? Our roster is 25, how do we make it feel like 26? You know, just so many different ways just to think outside the box that um, it makes it makes us a little different. It's so interesting, and, and it sounds, you know, with the baseball, the extra 2%, you know who wrote the book, by the way? You I don't remember uh, who, I don't remember. I'm just curious. It's, it's much like life or any other business, and, and that's, I think, what you, you've shared with me, like how do you find the extra 2% in every business? There's always a way to improve the, each business, and you've mentioned that before. Um, is that kind of like, you treat the organization it is a business and you take that very that same thought process with any business or project you get involved with you do you have to and you do it in every project and everything you do in life you know i mean you're you're in one of the best shapes i've seen any anybody and you know there's no one magic pill one magic bullet that just you know, wow, that's, that just doesn't happen that way. It's it's a combination of 12 different things. It's working out a touch different. It's getting an hour extra sleep. It's hydrating a little bit more. It's eating one less roll. It's There's so many different little things that go into it. And when you add them all up, it comes into something that's very special. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's no different from a baseball team to, you know, a restaurant where, you know, in one of my restaurants, the manager said, hey, I want to have women dishwashers because the breakage of glass and plates will be a lot less because women are a little, they handle them a little more carefully than the men do. The men are throwing them around, throwing them around. And, you know, at the end of the year, we've spent $2,700 on glassware and wine glasses and this and that. And, you know, so that's one thing. You find 12 things like that and there's your profit. So it's uh, a lot of different things. That's incredible. And being uh, one of the owners of the Rays, do you spend, you know, one would think, hey, you have great seats, you're in ownership, would you spend the whole season trying to attend every game? How do you go about that? Because it's exhausting if you're a player. It's exhausting. It's it's exhausting. It's, you know, the season, baseball pitchers and catchers report February 15th, the first week in March, uh, we start playing games, spring training games. So if you think about it, we have a game every day from March 6th right and through through October 2nd and it's every single day it's not like football where you play on a Sunday and see you next Sunday you know it's every single night so it's exhausting as a player as a coach as a family uh, the families of the players Um, so I don't try to go to every game I probably will see 20 25 games a year um, and I will probably see another 50 to 75 on TV um, because I just have some things to do every game 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night and it's just very very tough you can only imagine favorite baseball player of all time while we're on the subject oh boy it's got to be Mickey Mantle Mickey Mantle Mickey Mantle New York Yankees Mickey Mantle I, yep. and I hate Mickey to Mantle. say the New York Yankees Jesus oh. I used to be such a Yankee fan <laughs> and now it's painful it's a disease up in New York you're up in New York you got to be a Yankee fan I get it now right, but right. I live in Miami Beach so. right oh man Miami Beach um, definitely needs to up their sport game in my opinion but anyway we'll stay off that subject <laughs> I don't want to be hated on Randy, 
you were an athlete in high school. You were an athlete at uh, Hofstra, and now you're an owner of a professional sports team. Do you think that that is the reason why you attack your fitness? Because a lot of people who don't know this that are listening in, Randy is a fitness workout fanatic. Don't let him tell you different. This guy will compete in every race that he can get involved in. I mean, we ran together the Empire State Building run, and when we finished, he said he would do it again, and he felt good enough to do it again. So why do you think that you've become this, uh, or, or have always been, this fitness uh, workout fanatic? You know, playing basketball, starting when I was 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, you're in a gym, you're sweating, and you either love it or hate it, you know, and I loved it. So growing up as a gym rat, um, if I felt I wasn't sweating, I wasn't working out. And when you do that for 10 to 15 years, it's very, very hard to turn that switch off. You know, that's an on-off switch, and it's been just staying on with me. Um, there was a period of time, you know, raising three kids and, you know, a career and a wife and, and everything that kind of slowed me up a little bit. But um, I'm a guy who just needs to get in the gym and sweat. I don't care what it is. I'm doing it. You know, uh, I love playing golf, but that's after I work out. <laughs> right, right. You're not going to, you know, I mean, we obviously know a lot of people who consider the golf game their workout. Right. I know you don't do that. This guy is very fit. You know, he doesn't like to hear it. He doesn't like anyone saying it, but he's a six-pack guy. And you become a runner. Like, you enjoy running. So tell us about your running. And, you know, I know you're you're a 5K warrior. Tell us more about your running schedule. Uh, well, I kind of try to run every day, uh, probably six days a week, um, do different kind of runs. And uh, I like 5Ks because they're short enough where you just suck it up for 20 minutes and you're done. Um, I recently did a half marathon in Brooklyn and uh, went a lot of fun doing the same thing for 92 minutes, but uh, it's, it's challenging. But I just love to run. I love to get out. That's a period in time where I just clear my head and I'm running and I just can't think of a lot of different things because I'm focused on running. I put on some music and it's my zone time just to go out there and just stay, you know, kind of de-stressed and, you know, not attached to anything other than just my space out there. And it's uh, something that I hope I can do for uh, a few more years. Right. And you said, I know you're training and fit people actually running your family. Your uncle is actually an Olympian. Is this true? <laughs> yeah. He's uh, 85 years old and he wins these super Olympian uh medals all the time and as he says he's just it's easy because he's just competing against a bunch of old guys <laughs> so uh yeah he usually uh and they do all these events over two days he wins the uh the 50 meters 100 meters 400 meters the shot put and the disc and sometimes he'll throw a javelin if he thinks he could win it so it's kind of crazy but he's 85 and he does all that stuff over two days and i want to go out they're in san diego and i just kind of want to see a bunch of 85 year old guys to a 100 meter dash it sounds like it's going to be an interesting uh, moment but uh, i like to see that myself it, it's just amazing that these guys are out there doing it it's just it's just all the credit in the world it is it's unbelievable i hope i can move like that at that age i hope i'm around at that age um you know, so you, you're a runner, you, you lift weights, you spend time in the gym, you spend two, about six days a week, you train about, what, two hours to training a day, roughly? Yeah, I'm in the gym, I do about an hour of cardio, and then kind of stretch for a little bit, and then uh, then lift for about 45 minutes to an hour. Okay, and, and tell us about your nutrition. Oh, 
I was hoping you wouldn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask. People I, should know <laughs> what your nutrition is like. Yeah. But I, you're not a bad eater at all. I mean, you you eat you eat healthy at I'm times. Not, I'm not a good eater at all. I'm really not. If somebody puts you know quinoa and lentil and you know grilled chicken in front of me, I'm going to eat it. But if they put a piece of fried chicken on a country biscuit that's buttered <laughs> up with maple syrup on the top, I'm going after that also. So um, I don't. I do not ever ever you know consider you know going on a diet i think that's the wrong word i don't like that i like people to whatever they do as far as reading habits i like it to be my word is sustainable you know if you just want to do something for 48 72 hours to kind of get a little quick pop you feel like you put on five eight pounds and you you want to go at it for seven eight days that's great but you need something that's sustainable you know you want to take one or two things out of your diet okay do it change it up a little bit you know instead of three glasses of wine two instead of two have one instead of the whole roll have a half a roll because you know what the other half's going to taste like so there's a lot of different ways you can do things so um I just like to do something that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. I eat everything. I had an okay. ice cream sundae before I came here. <laughs> ice cream sundae? I did. It's not even 6 o'clock. It was 4 o'clock, <laughs> and it was Lincoln Road, and it was hot, and the ice cream store had no line, so I had to go in. Absolutely. I that's, didn't put a lot of sprinkles on, though. No. <laughs> that's definitely a window. So you think, like, so you, you live in Miami Beach. Uh, I know you, you, you're all over, but you, you do spend a lot of time in Miami Beach. Do you think there's a bit of added pressure in Miami Beach to be fit? Because this, you could walk down the street and see a 65-year-old guy that looks like he's been carved out of granite. Do you think there's extra pressure you know, added to women and men in Miami Beach to look, look fit, look the part because we're in a, uh, an area where there's a lot of beautiful people? Oh, yeah, there's, there's no doubt. This, this Miami Beach, this little barrier island off of Miami um, is unique. You know, it's three or four square miles, and I just have to tell you, it's just really tough, especially on women, um, because everybody is just in shape. And, you know, it's pretty much 80 and sunny of palm trees and a slight breeze off the ocean every single day. So everybody's out there, you know, basically wearing shorts and a tank top. So what you see is what you get, and it's just very, very challenging. Yeah. It really is for women, uh, men also, but um, women, it's it's really tough, especially as a woman gets older and she's down in Miami Beach and she sees all these 20 and 30 year old women, you know, because fitness has become in vogue more. There was never all these little boutique places, you know, Barry's, Bar, Flywheel, Soul Cycle, Psych. It just seems to be, you know, another fitness place like another 7-Eleven popping up on every single corner USA and another healthy place to eat. So, um, and it's a good thing too. It's, it's not a bad thing. Um, but it's just all over the place, and it's hard playing catch-up when you're a little older, and you can't do the things you used to be able to do, so you're just going to kind of find that sweet spot. But again, you're still walking down the street or down the beach, you know, against people that are looking a lot different, so you just have to be happy with yourself. You you really have to be, you know? Yeah. You know, I I joke when I have friends in town from the Northeast, they come down, and they could walk Lincoln Road or walk the beach, and they always come back and they make statements and they think they one, one of my uh, buddies said he really thought he saw the cast of 300 walking on the beach because everyone was so ripped and that's just like your everyday person we talked about training uh, you know you're running you're, you're hitting the weights we talked about your nutrition 
in your Sundays. Now, uh, what about supplementation? Vitamins, minerals, do you take any supplements, protein powders? What kind of things do you do you take to, to help keep you in the game that or if anything, you know, you just just food. Yeah, no, I try to uh, I try to protein it up. I do believe in that because especially at my age, you know, I'm a little older, so you know, you work out really hard. The only way you're going to have gains is by having your uh, your your cells just reproduce, and you know, the more protein you need, that's what's going to help you grow. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so I I have to have a lot of protein, whether it's a protein shake, whether it's a piece of chicken. I kind of try to do it every three or four hours if I can. And you, you, you go hard in Miami Beach. I have a bunch of questions toward the end uh, that will ask you about some of your favorite spots. But th- let's get away from that uh, for a while. Now you, you're you know, you heavy in the training, but you're also always trying to stay current and get involved in different projects. That being said, how do you decide what pro- a project, what project you should get involved with? So uh, Michael Dell set up this format of a family office where he has people around him that, you know, help him out with all those decisions. And I kind of emulated his model and I do the same thing. So I have um, a handful of people that work for me that vet all the deals and everything that comes to me. And um, they're really good at it. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the deal is, whether it's real estate or a, a new app. Um, it could be anything. Uh, so we look at everything. We take a hard look at it. Sometimes we think the concept works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we think the person's not the right person to get it done. Sometimes we think there might not be enough money, so there's not enough runway for them to kind of get it going. Or sometimes we love everything. We just don't like the structure of the deal. You know, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. it's kind of too lopsided. The deal has to work for both people. So I see a lot of things, and they go right to my team, and uh, they come to me with what they think is something we should really take a, a good hard look at. Now, do you, okay, understood. Do you gravitate towards certain industries, or this really you you don't discri- discriminate? You just pretty much try to keep an open mind, or there's certain things that you're more likely to go into sports or fitness, or you know you're really open to most. You know what? The first thing I only look I look at is the people who is coming to, who, who's coming to me and who I'm actually going to be partnering up with, and that's what everybody should always do whenever you do something. Look at the person because it's going to be a marriage, and if it doesn't go well, breaking that marriage which is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I always bet on people. Whatever the ideas behind it is very secondary to the person who I'm sitting in front of, who I'm going to be holding hands, walking down the aisle with. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to be a good person, a hardworking person, smart, honest. So that's those are the things I look for. Okay. Do you remember a um, maybe there was something in the past that a project you went into or an investment you went into and you meant, man, I wish I had that one back? Something that we never would have thought you would have uh, been a part of. Just, you know, something like quirky or, or, or goofy in the past, but you gave it a run and you said, man, I wouldn't do that again. Uh, probably about 247 of them. <laughs> Maybe I'm, I'm kind of kidding. It's more. Okay. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Understood. You know, there, there's an old theory that if you're not failing enough, you're not trying enough. So I kind of spread it out a little bit. And, you know, as you say, you never bet the house, you never bet the ranch, but you can bet the garage a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, that's my philosophy. That's a great quote. That's a great quote. I like that. How about, what what was your favorite project over the many years and decades of, um, you, you, you know, you've put your heart and soul into what was one that was really like, uh, you had a special tie to or a special bond with one project? I would say owning the ski resort because it was something out of my strength and out of my wheel. I'm not a big skier. I'm Mm -hmm. very average going up and down the hill. I bought a ski resort in New York, 
and uh, taking over control of that and operating it uh, was challenging because every Friday and Saturday during the winters you'd have 10,000 people on the mountain and you'd be serving lunches and breakfast for 10,000 people and you know you're going to be having probably five to ten serious injuries you're going to be dealing with so you're going to have a helicopter coming in at some point whether it's 10 o'clock or 2 o'clock with either a broken knee or a lacerated spleen so there was always a lot of things going on you know um, and uh, so I would say that was challenging and rewarding at the same time mm -hmm. uh, you know being involved in so many deals and, and so many um, different projects what would you say some of the uh, a few of the misconceptions mate would be about you know going into business and starting your own business and, and investing in maybe a startup well, what people have to realize is when you go into a business and uh, you are starting something up, it's extremely likely you're going to fail. And I say that only because you have to have that approach because most businesses, most new ideas fail. And it's unfortunate and they fail for lots of different reasons. So I think whether, again, it's a car wash, a restaurant, whatever it is, you know, if you're going to open up a franchise, what you do is you go to the franchisees and you look at every lawsuit, every litigation that any one of those franchisees ever had and you try to find the trouble spots and you see why, why everything is going bad. One of my friends opened up a muscle maker um, down here and um, I asked him if he did that. He said no. And I said, if you go and look, I bet you there are so many people that have opened muscle makers in the past five years that are very unhappy, and you should have. You, it was a must um, to go and interview them, talk to them, and read their claims. Mm -hmm. And you may have thought twice about doing that. Um, so uh, those are things I recommend. You really have to do a lot of due diligence before you jump into a new business. It sounds like it's all you know, rainbows and lollipops, but it's not. So uh, where do you see yourself um, in the next five to ten years? What types of things would you like to, I mean, do you have like a mindset? Do you have goals in your head, Randy, in, in, in a direction that you want to go? That they, I, I know I want to get involved with this, Mark. This is what I'm trying to do, and you're trying to grow or evolve and get into different things. Can you tell us a little bit about the future for your projects or in investments well you know um, the future is determined by how well the world is doing for me when the world is really doing well and every all the assets and real estate and art and wine and it's all inflated and every price is high and everybody's happy that's when I'm least happy because I can't really do anything there's no opportunity for me I need dislocations in markets I need things to go wrong so I can come in then and kind of pick up you know, the mess, clean it up, fix it, and try to create value. Um, I would like to do something in the sports world again. You know, there's something else in the sports world. I've been kicking around a bunch of other things, and uh, nothing's actually crossed the finish line yet. But I think uh, that's something that I would really, really like to do. I, it's just fun for me, and um, it, it's, I see that in the next one, two, three years, something okay. like that happening. Okay. Um, so... You know, this is going to seg segue us into a, a series of questions. You, wh what do you look for when you try to assemble a team? So you talked about the people. It's all about the people when you go into business. And could you elaborate or talk about the team when you put together a team of people? What do you look for in a team when you try to assemble a team for each project? 
Well, you look for somebody who has some type of experience in it and they have a track record and they have, you know, good references and there are quality people that you know will leave all the blood and sweat on the floor by the end of the day. And if you find somebody like that, you wrap your arms around them, you bear hug them, you overpay them, and you get out of their way. And good things happen then. Okay, so which leads us to my next question you happen to be partners is it with a gentleman who has a very specific skill it's a sweet tooth skill could you tell us a little bit about that okay help me out so <laughs> this guy is just a wonder he's wonderful uh as a baker <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh uh but yeah uh, his name is buddy Velestro, or as 200 million people around the world have seen his name is Cake Boss and Cake Boss is a very very special individual he is uh, he's been a close friend of mine for years and uh, Buddy and I have been opening bakeries uh, all around the country and having a lot of fun doing it and uh, he's he's been a <laughs> he's been a hell of a guy how did that relationship start we started making cakes for uh, my birthday. Uh, my wife would, uh, before he was cake boss, he was uh, a regular guy running Carlos Bakery in Hoboken. And my wife used to go in there and get a cake uh, made. And uh, one day he calls my wife and said, hey, I entered this contest and the winner is gonna have their TV show. And um, if I win and when I win, I want you to be on the first episode. So we said, okay, sure, sure. And as it turns out, he wins. He's coined the cake boss, which is the perfect name for him. Great name. And uh, my wife went down there and decided she doesn't want to be on the first show. So uh, <laughs> it wasn't her thing. She uh, likes to avoid that kind of stuff. So uh, he had another episode. And he actually made a cake for me uh, for the ski resort. He, uh, he drove up and he made a big birthday cake for me and he did put it on the TV show, uh, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> but uh, it was really nice, a big chocolate cake with skiers coming down it and it was, it was a lot of fun. And I mean, he's just incredible. I actually was fortunate to taste one of his cakes recently at a little get together and it was incredible. I mean, what I'm amazed at is he can make a cake out of, he can do anything with a cake. Like he can make a TV a cake, he can make a bicycle a cake. I mean, he's some truly extraordinary works. This guy's an artist. He is absolutely amazing. He, um, I've seen him make life-size cars for General Motors and bring them out to the car show. Um, we just had uh, the food and wine down here, and Rachel Ray um, asked him. He made a big, it was her 10-year anniversary of having the Rachel Ray Burger Bash. So we drove down, he made it up in Hoboken, and drove down an eight to 900-pound cake that looked exactly like a burger with cheese ketchup and pickles on it and it served 5,000 people and it was amazing it was uh we had to get a two forklifts to take it off the truck so it was, yeah. uh, it was a fun thing that's cool and, then, and now the uh buddy the what are they call uh with the business itself is called buddy the baker or what is the restaurant called the restaurant in uh the restaurants that are open here are called buddy v's okay and the first one was opened up in uh, the venetian out in uh, las vegas and they're multiplying quickly, right? Well, they're multiplying. We'll see how uh, yeah. we see how they do. It's it's a great concept. It's uh, spaghetti and sloppy red sauce and uh, a 
two cannolis and you're going to have a great meal and walk out of there with a happy face. I'm starving just thinking about it. I'm going to have to have one of those cakes, another cake soon. Okay, so we, we talked about business and we, we talked about, you know, building a team, assembling a team. Why are you going to certain projects and what, what makes you take in regards to business? What would you say that your main strengths are when it comes to business? I think my main strength is picking the right people to partner up with. Um, I think that's really what I have an advantage in. Um, I'm able to talk to somebody and after an hour or so, kind of read between the lines and see if this person is cut from the same cloth as I am because that's, that's my main driver. So that would be your strength working with people. What would you say to something in, that you've always wanted to improve on and you just know, you know, it would suit me well. I had a close friend of mine recently tell me there's something I really need to improve on and, and he was actually, he's right. You know, and it was hard for me to admit that, but I know I need improvement in that one specific area. What would you say that you, you would really like to improve on? Well, I would say the biggest thing I need to improve on is probably uh, trust. You know, um, I, um, I trust too many people for too many things. And I basically um, and I'm an open book and I need to really kind of rethink some of these things so trusting too many people is not a good thing and that's one of my weaknesses three words that best describe you randy oh boy i'd like to say uh humble i'd like to say generous and i'd like to say kind what advice would you give what advice would you give to a young and -and up-and-coming entrepreneur and someone who's really trying to make a name for themselves in whatever industry they're involved in Hmm. You know, um, if you're up and coming today and you're looking to start your own business, you're looking to do something different, the best thing you need to do is surround yourself with the right people. You know, um, that's probably the first thing. The second thing is, is whatever you're going to do out there, whatever business plan you're going to put together, there's a strong chance that you are going to be off on it. Your revenues are going to be less than you think. Your time when you think you're going to open it is going to be a lot longer. The amount of capital you're going to need is going to be more. So you have to be prepared for that. And if you're not prepared for that, that's where most businesses fail. You know, and, and I call it running out of runway, um, where you know you thought your business was going to open up in six months and it takes nine months, and you thought the revenues the first year was going to be two hundred thousand and they're one hundred twenty thousand, and now you're out of capital. You have a great idea, you have a hardworking team, but you have no money, you can't pay the bills. And if you could make it, you know, another six months, you probably will have a very viable business. And going out to get capital now is a, a trickier thing. So you really need to be well financed and make sure your budgets are really conservative. Okay. So the next series of questions are just pretty one off uh, questions just to get an understanding of uh, who you are. So I know you're from the Jersey, New York area. What do you miss most about the, uh, that area up north? I would say a few things. First, if I talk about the uh, the weather, I miss the change of seasons. You know, I love fall. You know, it's baseball ending, going into football. The leaves are turning. You know, the holidays up there seem just different. It seems more family up there. Um, Christmas time in Miami is fun, but there's nothing like Christmas in New York. Um, those are the kind of things I miss. And my daughters all live in New York, so I, I guess I miss it for, for those reasons also. Okay. 
All right, here we go. Favorite athlete. Ooh. So you named Mickey Mantle before, but let's say current day. Well, I would go. I, you got to give me Mickey Mantle, then I can jump to Michael Jordan. Nice. Okay, let me do that jump of before course. I go all the way to current Why day. Why Michael Jordan? Oh, Michael Jordan. You know, I, I remember him sitting on the bench with 103 fever out there, you know, sweating like he was about to take the SATs again. <laughs> and um, he just played through it and was throwing up. And I never saw that kind of determination before. I never saw somebody with such a passion and a will to do something. Whether he won or lost wasn't really what I was looking at. What I was looking at is his just ability to get out there and compete. And that's all it's about, you know. You don't know if you're going to win or lose. It's a team game. It's not just you. So there was a lot of other things that had to happen. But just to see him go out there and what he was doing for the team was just inc- absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was an amazing horse. He's an absolute warrior. Yeah. And story after story with Michael Jordan just always uh, blows your mind. Can Steph Curry give Michael Jordan a run? Nah. I don't when think when so. careers are all said and done, what do you think? Look, Steph Curry is having last year was phenomenal. That was his coming out year, and this year is you know his I call it his sophomore year. There's no sophomore jinx, so he's playing unbelievable. Let him do that through the fullness of time. Let me see the next three to five to seven years how he does, and then I'll I think I can answer the question right now. If the next five years look like this year, I'm going to say absolutely he probably can. Okay. Um, Special person. Yeah, he is special. Favorite book? Oh, boy, there's too many of them. Too many of them. Give I'm a few, I'm Give a, me a few. I'm you, not, read a lot. you read I'm, a lot. I'm a junk reader. There's an author out of New Jersey. His name is Harlan Coben, and he writes a lot of good mysteries, and, and I would call them popcorn, and, you know, for me, popcorn and Diet Coke books, where I'm just sitting home at night, or if it's uh, whatever. I, I just really love his style of, of, of writing, and he probably has about 15 to 20 novels, and you can pick any one of them up there, and you're not going to feel bad about reading it. Right. All good reads but so Harlan Coben's my man awesome favorite TV show Seinfeld Seinfeld <laughs> Seinfeld can't get enough yeah I mean how many times you watch, you watch those reruns I don't miss a rerun but I don't know what you call it after you've watched a rerun it's a triple re, re I, don't, I don't even know if there's triple, a name for it triple run yeah because it's more than a rerun now right. I've been watching them for 20 years okay great show favorite movie Godfather 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 all day long. Favorite movie quote? <laughs> oh, boy. I would probably have to say it's out of the movie Goodfellas. You know, uh, now get your shine box. Yeah, get your shine. I was thinking set the alarm clock for 11. Uh, that's another yeah, good one. Yeah. That's Ted. Yeah, I use that a lot. Okay. Uh, favorite thing to do on your day off or downtime? Um, my favorite thing to do on my day, day off is probably go for a run. Mm. Go for a run. Favorite restaurant in Miami? In Miami. God, Cheryl, don't hate me if I say Prime 112, but I have to say Prime Italian. Prime Italian. Prime Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Favorite restaurant in the U.S., so outside of Miami. Wow, that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. I eat out every single night of my life. (laughs) Um, So, boy, I've eaten in so many restaurants. I would have to say... It's going to be in New York City, and I'm going to mention two or three. I'm sorry. I'm going to go to Rayo's for Italian food. Uh, uh, I'm going to go to Peter Luger's for a steak. Um, you can stop me now because I'm just going to keep right. going. No, that's great. 
I haven't been to Peter Lugas. I hear amazing things. But I have, an I have another good friend that said Peter Lugas cannot give Prime 112 a run at all. But I mean, that's going to have to be tested. Favorite, Your favorite food. You're on death row. One of your last meal is going to have what? It's probably going to be like a spaghetti and meatball dish with a loaf of bread. From where? Italian? Uh, gosh. It might be from... Uh, from Scarpetto. They do a really, really good spaghetti. Yeah. Favorite artist or musician? Oh, boy. How do I list one? Gosh. I see. I was a Bon Jovi guy years ago, and I've changed now. You know, I'm, I'm all over the place. I went electronic with David Guetta for a while. and But I would have to say my favorite, if I'm listening to music, it's tomorrow night, and I'm going to have a glass of wine and chill. I'm, I'm listening to Frank Sinatra. I just want to put on Summer Wind and, you know, just enjoy that kind of music. Okay. Favorite actor? Favorite actor. Gosh, it's so hard to pick just one. You know, Al Pacino was my guy, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. I would have to say, yes, all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed this question before, and my apologies, but I got to go back to the food thing. Your favorite junk food, like something that's just truck driver food, something you potato know. Chips, potato, potato chips, potato chips, salt and vinegar, salt and potato, potato chips, chips, barbecue chips. Those are like, I mean, it, I get that a lot. Yeah, I just know. I just want a big bag, and I just want salt and vinegar chips. You're a salt guy, not a sugar guy. Salt and vinegar. Well, I don't know if they make sugar chips, you know. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with anything spicy on a chip, barbecue. I like them all; they're great. All right, last question, because uh, families first. What's your favorite family activity? Um, this is gonna sound corny, but the favorite family activity is when we all go to Disney World because my daughters are all older now and we've had some really memorable times there. So just walking over and getting on a ride, you know, whether it's Peter Pan or, you know, whether it's the elephant ride, you know, it just, just brings back memories and it's old school. You know, that's what we really, we, we really grew up as a family, believe it or not, going there and that was the kids' favorite place to go. And my daughter graduated from University of Miami and we said, any place you want to go, any family vacation, she said, let's all go to Disney World. I was like, what? I said, okay. Uh, that's cool. So that's where we ended up. We got in the car, packed it up, and drove up to Orlando. That's really cool. Okay, that sums up our, our Q&A, uh, speed Q&A. Randy, I just want to take this uh, opportunity to thank you so very much. I know you're a busy guy, and um, you have a lot going on, but you made time for this, and I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And listen, it was fun. You, you know, Thank you for sharing. Yeah, this, this was actually a lot of fun, totally unprepared, which is the way I go through life. But uh, thanks for having me on, Proud. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.